If you will, turn in your copy of Scripture to Matthew chapter 14. We'll be again in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. While you're turning there, um, not sure how many of you read the Harvard Business Review, but in late 2020, the Harvard Business Review article explored the reasons why people are increasingly becoming reluctant to step into leadership positions, despite the fact that they may be actually highly qualified and available for such. And so this research pointed to three things that seem to be the greatest obstacles or perceived threats in failing leadership. Like, why would they not go take on leadership? Failure. But what does that look like? Three things. One, it's the risk to interpersonal relationships. That if I step into leadership, my relationship changes with you. I don't know if I want that. Or the risk to your image. That what will people think of me when more people are looking at me? How will they view me? Will it change the way that people perceive me? Or third, outright failure, the risk of being blamed for that failure. And so we see this across our culture, that people who are highly qualified are highly reluctant to step into positions of leadership. How many people do you personally know who said, I could actually promote, but I'm going to not, because I see what it does to people like that. Uh, can I just tell you personally, um, and, and I don't regret this at all, but last week in an elders meeting, um, Pastor Chris was editing a video, and it started with the start of last week's sermon, where someone's praying next to me, and my head is bowed, and then I look up, and I saw the top of my head for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and then Pastor Josh, chuckling, pulls up a picture of me from 2018, the first vision event for Beloved Church, and I had no gray in my beard, a head full of hair, I was like, what is this? <laughs> the risk to interpersonal relationships, the risk to your image, the risk of being blamed for failure. Is it worth it to step into leadership? And that's a question for today. Is it worth it to step into leadership? Um, leadership is, is defined in so many ways, but if I, if I just try to simplify what leadership is as much as possible, I just ask, what is a leader? I'd say a leader it's a person. So leadership is relational. Leadership is a person who is moving, there is movement, in a particular direction with people following. If you take any of those ingredients out, it's not leadership. And you could expound this definition so much, but there has to be a person who is in motion. There is movement in a set direction, and there are people following. If nobody's following, you're not leading. If you're not moving, you're not leading. And if there's not a direction, you're not leading. But the thing is, the person who's moving may not be qualified or competent. The direction they're going may be the wrong direction. The movement may be the wrong speed, maybe too fast, maybe too slow. The people following may have the wrong idea of who they're following. So leadership is fraught with danger and all these things. And so we feel the tensions. And yet we know if nobody leads, nobody moves. If nobody leads, nobody moves, and we need to move. We need to be able to move. Every follower of Jesus is called to be a leader at some level. This is not a message just for the elders or the deacons or the directors or the business owners or the administrators or anyone that we think of typically when we think of leadership. This is for all of us. Every one of us as followers of Jesus is called to be a leader at some level. It's child dedication. Parents, you were called to be leaders, to lead your children well. 
But every one of us, as followers of Jesus, was given this, this command, this mission called the Great Commission, that we're gonna make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything he's commanded us. That it's the paradigm of the Apostle Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ. That I should be bringing you along as I follow Jesus. You should be bringing people along as you follow Jesus. We are all called to be leaders at some level. And so, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, read with me. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So remember, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 plus, that's just the men, and so many, many people just miraculously fed by this little boy's lunch. Jesus says, I'm going up the mountain to pray. Disciples, you go get in the boat and cross over the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus goes to pray. He's praying for a long time. It's late in the night. It's the fourth watch of the night. It's between 3 and 6 a.m. And the disciples have not made it to the other side because a sudden squall, a storm has come upon them and they're stuck and they're rowing with everything they have. And so remember, this is terrifying. It's dark, crashes of lightning, the wind is howling, the rain, the salt water, it's all just blasting into their faces. They're trying their absolute hardest to get across this body of water and the wind is against them. And now imagine, muscles cramping, the fatigue, all of that, the insanity of this, that it's 3 a.m., or later, they've been rowing all night. They've been trying to cross this six-ish mile stretch of water and they can't make it. And suddenly, out of the darkness, already scared, comes someone walking on the water and someone in the boat screams, it's a ghost! And the others all cry out in fear, terrified. Jesus has come walking to them on the water because he saw them. And he's come to them on the water. He sees them stuck. He sees them in their failure. He's come to them on the water. And now, 27. Immediately Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And we unpacked this a lot last week, that Jesus, it becomes broken grammar in, in English, but Jesus saying, it is I, he's actually literally saying, I am. Jesus comes up and announces himself, I am. This is, this is him invoking Yahweh, the divine name. I am that I am, as he revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush that's not consumed somehow. And they would know, as good Hebrew boys who know the scriptures, that only God is to walk on the waters. And they would think back to the prophecy of Isaiah when God says, hey, don't be afraid when you pass through the waters. Why? Because I'm with you. And here's Jesus saying, don't be afraid. Have courage. Show yourself to be strong because I'm here. Yahweh is with them. Jesus has shown up. He tells them who he is. And now 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him, worshipped him and said, truly you are the son of God. 
Peter, hearing Jesus say, hey, it's me. You don't have to be afraid. If it's you, let me come out there. And Jesus says, come on. And he comes out. And he's walking. But just, like, I want you to enter into that story in that moment. Okay, so imagine you're exhausted, you're cold, you want to go to sleep so badly, you just want to touch dry land. Your stomach is turning because it's just constantly up and down. All of the, just the franticness of this endeavor to get across this lake when Jesus told us to, and now we're stuck in a storm, terrified, wondering when you get struck by lightning, wondering when one wave swamps the boat just the right angle, and down we go. And someone comes walking out of the darkness. It's a ghost! Ah! We're all terrified. No, don't be afraid. Have courage. It's I, Jesus. Now in that moment, what now? We're in the boat, going nowhere, terrified, stuck. And Jesus comes walking up out of the darkness, walking on water, and says, we don't need to be afraid. Well, look around. And you look at each other in the boat. And what now? And what does Peter do? He speaks up. And he says, if it's you, command me to come out there with you. Peter takes the lead. Peter starts motion. Peter gets out of the boat, and you remember that moment. Like, what would it be like to grab the rail and hike one leg over and touch that water? And your foot doesn't just go right below the surface, but it feels solid. And you put a little more weight, a little more weight, until suddenly I've got equal weight inside the boat and outside the boat. And the other leg follows. And I imagine both legs are probably firmly on the water before he lets go. Standing on water, Peter turns and starts to walk toward Jesus. Walking towards Jesus, he takes the initiative, he takes the lead, he starts to go. But you remember the risk with leadership, right? What is it? It's a risk to relationships. It's a risk to image. It's a risk of failure being blamed on you. As Peter starts to walk towards them, you gotta imagine how inspired everyone in the boat is. Look at him go. I wasn't the one who was gonna say anything. I'm glad it's him. Like, watch him go. Like, go, Peter. Man, this is awesome. Go. But then as Peter starts to go, his eyes come off of Jesus and he sees the strength of the wind. He sees the waves. He remembers just how cold and tired he is and he starts to sink. And all of those fears are lived out. As now, oh, they're never gonna let me live this down. My relationship with those guys, with this guy who just called me out on the water, what does this do to me as I fail, as I literally fall? My image. The blame for this, I know it's squarely on me. As Peter fails, Peter takes the lead, and then what does he do? He fails. He fails. And here's the question. What gets highlighted in his failure? As Peter fails, and we say, that's awful. Like, what an embarrassment. Like, that's got to feel terrible. 
Like so exciting that you would take the lead and you were the one, like, like give it to Peter. He's the one who stepped out of the boat. But then we all watched him fail. And if you've been in any kind of leadership, you know that one of the most common things that you experience is everyone else thinks they can lead better than you. You gotta know he's thinking those things right then. Is everyone else in the boat thinking they should have been the one to do this? But as he fails, what gets highlighted? Peter sinking into the waves, looking up, realizing he has nothing else. There's nothing he can do to save himself. There's nothing he can do to pull this off. He is utterly at the mercy of something, someone beyond himself. And what does he do? He screams out, Lord, save me. So that's the beauty of the gospel. It's to come to a place of realizing I cannot do this for myself. I could never save myself. I cannot do enough. I cannot earn enough. I cannot be enough. But as I see that I am perishing, you cry out and bank on the grace and mercy of God. And you say, Lord, confess his lordship. You turn from your sin. You turn to the one who can save. You say, Lord, save me. And the mighty hand of God in all of his sovereignty, he reaches down and grabs Peter and pulls him up to safety. And this is us, as we confess that we need our Lord's salvation. We come to him, and he is glad to save. And he did this by dying the death that we deserve on the cross. Then, having taken our place on that cross, all of our sin, all of our penalty, just wrath from God poured out on him, on God. How crazy is that? Why? Because he loves us. He says, I want to take your place. So he stood condemned so that we can walk free. He paid the penalty of our sin, gave us his own righteousness. So that now the father looks at Kevin. He looks at those who put their faith in Jesus and he sees the righteousness of the son of God, God's own righteousness. And he delights in us. He loves us. And he rose again victorious over sin and death, calls us into new life, life everlasting with the promise that we too will be raised from the dead by the same power of the Spirit that raised Jesus, we will be alive with him forevermore. That God wants us to be with him is amazing. And it starts with us realizing we can't do it ourselves. We failed. But like Peter, what if leadership looks like walking through that failure and not a way that just says, that's the end for me, but instead says, I know the one who can overcome anything. I'll put my trust in the one who raises even the dead. This is the gospel. You've got to realize that failure in leadership does not mean it's the end. Yes, you may fail in leadership in ways that disqualify you from leadership, be it at a job, church, or whatever. There are sometimes consequences that disqualify you from leadership. But leadership does not mean that every failure is the end. We have to see that because otherwise the risks, the fears will prevent us from ever leading in any capacity. And so when the gospel is highlighted, when we realize that our righteousness comes from God alone, that I never merited my way into this, that whatever it is, whatever role you have in leadership, leading your children, leading your family, leading your workplace, leading your ministry team, leading whatever it is, at any level, any level of leadership you're in, if you can see, the gospel is, you never deserve to be in a right standing with God but he gave it to you in grace and mercy. Then when you fail, you fell from a place that you never earned in the first place. And so what do you do? 
when the gospel is beautiful and you're saying, follow me as I follow Christ, and then you stumble and you smack your face on the ground and you make it awful. Romans 5 says that we stand in grace. I love that picture. Because if I'm standing in grace right now and I fall down, do you know what I fall down into? Grace. Because it's what I stand in. So what does grace do in failure? What does God call us to in failure? A gracious invitation to stand back up. And as you stand back up and you own the fact that you have failed, what do you point to? Like Peter failing, you scream out, Lord, Lord, save me. That he gets all the glory, he gets all the credit. He is the strength of power. He is the one who can restore all things. He's the one who's promised to renew all things. And so we call out to him. And so you take the gospel and you say, follow me in this, see the beauty of the gospel. And then you make it horrific because of your failure. But then in that, you have the opportunity now to say, but isn't Jesus still beautiful? And I'm so thankful that he has grace enough for me that a wretched sinner like me would still call me to follow him. And what are you doing again? You're leading. Like parents, do you realize that is one of the most important things that we can do is to own our failures with our own children. But in our failures with our children to point them to the gospel. It's those nights that I hate when I have to walk into my kid's room and say, Daddy messed up, and I'm so sorry. I should not have talked to you like that. I should not have made that decision. Will you forgive me? I'm just so glad that God forgives me, even though I don't deserve his forgiveness. Isn't it amazing that there's a God who loves us like that? And I hope you never forget that. Do you know how powerful that is when our children hear us genuinely own our failures and yet have hope, the hope of the gospel, that when we fail, it's not the end. We look continually to our Savior. So as you sink beneath the water, you scream out, Lord, save me. Because there is risk in leadership and you probably will fail. And yet there's a God who still stands above it all. And just call out to me. This is not license to sin. But there is genuine freedom and repentance. When we can be honest about our failure, there's such a freedom there. Because God already knows and he loves you. Do you realize that? That Jesus died saying, it is finished, and he knew everything wrong we would ever do, paying for it all in that moment. If God already knows, and yet he loves us, then the rub that we feel of, but what if they know? Because that's at the heart of all three of those things, right? The three greatest risks that Harvard identified. Relationships, image, and being blamed. It's all about relationships. And yet, God knows us and still loves us. And so we can walk in that kind of freedom with each other, right? To be transparent, to be vulnerable, to be actually known. That our fear of our failure being known does not have to be crippling. Because leadership requires some vulnerability. There's a risk to getting out of the boat. But I hope that you will get out of the boat. Because we need more people to lead. We need more people who are not afraid to step out of the boat and follow Jesus. 
Get away from what is comfortable and safe and start following Jesus. And when you fail, because you are human, and like the Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. We make him out to be a liar. And that's not something you want to do, is make God out to be a liar. See the beauty of the gospel and lead in the way of Jesus. Which means leadership in the way of Jesus Service and sacrifice are just as important as vision casting and directing. We can think of leadership as like some charismatic personality who can just get up and inspire a lot of people. Like, yes, I'm on board with that, that vision, we're gonna go there. And then they tell us what to do. They delegate, they command, they direct. I think, what a great leader, getting things done. That's not leadership in the way of Jesus. Leadership in the way of Jesus is sacrifice and service. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Service is leadership. Humility is beautiful leadership. And if we can embrace that, then failure is not so terrifying. Because failure is terrifying when I think more highly of myself than I ought. And Scripture tells me not to think more highly of myself than I ought, but to see the grace of God allowing us into these capacities but with the risk, we can either abuse leadership to protect against the vulnerability or we can embrace our security in Christ, pointing to him even in our weakness. And that's what I so hope for you today. As parents, leaders, you see the beauty, the security that you have in Christ, the freedom you have in Christ, that you can be known. Our vision text is always belong, be known, be loved. If we want a place to belong, to know that I am part of of this, out of exile, back into the family of God. But then I want intimacy. I want to be known. But that's also terrifying because what if you know me? If you actually know me, will I belong anymore? And the gospel says, yes. There's a God who knows you through and through and still says, I love you. It's not just that you belong here, but I love you. I want you. You can be known. And so when we have that kind of security vertically from God, then we can extend that horizontally and say, you can know me. I can be honest about my failures. I don't have to hide. And I can be free to take some risk. I can walk out with Jesus. Because even if I fail, my only hope is Jesus. So you see the beauty of that and live in the freedom of light. So walk in the freedom of being known. And as I conclude, I'm going to give you some practical applications of this. What does this look like in this as we're leading up to Connect Sunday, which is just a week away? This is an opportunity for you to step more into the life of the church as we celebrate what God has done in and through us, but inviting you to step out of the boat, to jump in, to be a part of what God is doing with beloved church. Invite some trusted friends into the hidden parts of your life. What are the things that right now you know, that's not something I want people to know about me? And now what would it look like if you left here with a plan to say, I can trust this person and this person, and I'm just going to tell them. It's probably going to be super uncomfortable. But I'm just going to tell them. And finally, be free of the oppression of trying to keep this a secret. Invite some trusted friends into the hidden parts of your life. And then step into the continuum of being known in beloved church. 
This is a continuum of, at, at a kind of high level, if you step into a ministry team, you're now part of a smaller community because this, right now, this is not enough. You cannot truly be known in this context. But if you get into a ministry team where people are going to check in on you, a leader will be assigned to you to check in and make sure, are you doing okay? There's community in that. There's networking in that that you can actually be known at a level. And yet that's still kind of a broad, higher level. But then you go below that on this continuum as in a home group. The next week, we want all of you to be in a home group. Commit to being in a home group because that is the space where you can belong, be known, and be loved where you will live in vulnerable transparency with a group of people who say, I'm with you, and I love you. And if you fall, I'm gonna be there to help pick you up because we're gonna do life together, loving each other, living out the one another's that we have five minutes and it's like Reggie was talking earlier today, it's heartbreaking when we end that because I love seeing the fellowship, the prayer, like the genuine life and practice of being the church. But in home group, that extends throughout the week. It's all the time, not just an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. So be in a home group. And then beyond that, this is where you find those two or three people that you really trust. And you can be fully known and transparent with them. We call that a discipline practicing partner. That every month of the year, we highlight a different discipline in the way of Jesus. And we want you to have a couple people that you intimately engage in that practice with. That if it's simplicity like this month. Then you get together and you be honest with each other about how did your life get cluttered? What are the things taking up real estate in your mind right now that you could probably just let go of? And it might take some work to let go of it, so let's make a plan for that. How are we gonna let go of some things? Whatever it is, have a couple people that you can be fully transparent with. So walk in the freedom of being known. Own and confess your failures, but see and point to the gospel in them. This is not the end. Then you need to ask what faithful looks, faithfulness looks like for you as you lead. This is a big question. It could be its own sermon. But if the fear is failure, what does success actually look like in leadership? In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable of some talents that are given out by a master. And Two, there's three of them that receive these talents. Two of them, they invest and they double. They get this great return. Bring it back to the master. And he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. But then the third one just hides it, does nothing with it. Master comes back, look, I kept it. I kept it safe. I know that you're a hard man, you know, so I kept it safe. Look, everything you gave me, still right here. You know what the master does not say to that servant? Does not say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a rebuke. And yes, there's, there's a huge idea there of like, don't waste what God has given you. Don't waste this life. Invest in the kingdom of God. See a great return for the glory of God. And yet when you hear that statement, that's the statement that we all want to hear as we end life as our master welcomes us home and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what he doesn't say? He does not say, well done, good and effective servant. You hit all the benchmarks. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we have to ask, what does faithfulness look like? Because our culture demands that we look at all these metrics. So what are the benchmarks 
of what it is for my organization, my business, my family, whatever, to grow and appear successful. But what does faithfulness look like and the calling that God has placed on your life? That's what we want to follow in. Pursue faithfulness. And your life and leadership may not look like what the world thinks success is. But don't you want to hear our master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's be a church that pursues faithfulness. Not efficiency, not effectiveness. Those things are great and we give God the glory for them. And we pursue them to a degree. But what's in our lens is faithfulness. Faithfulness to what God has called us. And I live in the freedom of that. When I planted Love Church, I was part of a, or we joined a network that to become part of this network, Acts 29 is a church planning network, there's this assessment process. And I had heard so many stories of how insane this assessment process was. And like, I quite literally wrote a book and just applying, um, just unpacking theology and all these things. Um, I've, I've done the FBI background check before. This was way more intensive. Like, and my personality probably made it way more than it needed to be. But I'm told, like, you're going to go to this assessment. There's, there's, like, some remote parts of it, but then you're going to go in person and spend a few days in person. And I've been warned, like, they are watching from the moment you arrive. Every interaction with any server, with your spouse, everything is under the microscope. Now, there's a lot of pressure in that. It's like, you don't want to slip up. You don't want to mess this up. So much pressure. But the pastor who is leading it all, I'll never forget it's like a broken record that over and over and over again, knowing the pressure that we would feel in that environment, he'd just say, remember the gospel. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Nothing to prove and no one to impress. You did not earn the love and favor of God. And you have it, beloved. He calls you beloved. Do you know the freedom of that? That you didn't earn it. And he gave it at the cost of his own life. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress. And now you can actually lead in that freedom. So get out of the boat, jump in, and let's serve the Lord together in a way that brings him great glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your resolute love, your steadfast love that endures forever. Through our failure, through our weakness, and even that even, you are made strong. You are made glorious. And so we thank you. We praise you. And God, I ask that you would empower this church to lead, to step out in our homes, in this community, and around the world to bring the gospel to bear, to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Thank you. Make it so in the name of Jesus.